0: On America's Web Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and I'd like to welcome in studio today Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. We are very happy to be here today, and in honor of Alcoholism Awareness Month, we're going to talk specifically about denial that is very prevalent in the disease of addiction, and we're going to talk about the difficulty that denial plays, not only in the life of the person who has the disease of addiction, but also in their family members, loved ones, colleagues, and friends. And unfortunately, denial in the healthcare system has been responsible for a significant increase in the death rate among opioid addicts. And we'll talk about this recent study from University of California, Los Angeles Medical Center, looking at what happens when addiction specialists are not involved in the treatment of folks with the disease of addiction. So um, a really exciting show today and important important information before we start on that though i would like to remind everybody that this saturday april 29th from 10am until 2pm is national drug take back day many of you ha- are aware of these opportunities that happen usually quarterly They're sponsored by your local law enforcement agencies as well as the Drug Enforcement Agency or the DEA. This is a real good opportunity for you to get a head start on your spring cleaning and make sure that you have removed old, unused medications, expired medications from your medicine cabinet. It has been shown over and over again that the majority of young people have access to their first drugs, not from the drug dealer down the street or the shady guy at school on the playground, but rather it comes from their own family's medicine cabinet. So please take the opportunity to um, gather together all of the medications that are in your home that you're no longer using, that have expired, and take them to your nearest um, drop-off location. If you go to uh, deadiversion.com, you'll be able to find out the hours and times of your local drop box or drop-off area. In the state of Georgia, we're very lucky because the Council on Alcohol and Drugs has been able to work with every county, and every county in Georgia has a drop box. So you don't have to wait for the national take-back days. Every county at one of the law enforcement um, precincts, precincts um, has a drop box that is maintained and managed um in order for you to be able to drop off your medications at a time convenient for you. But we take this opportunity when there is the national um, drop-off medication take-back day to remind everybody how important this is. And this is a way that you can do your part in decreasing the prescription drug abuse epidemic you can do your part by cleaning out your old prescription medications and disposing of them properly. Please don't flush them down the toilet. (laughs) Please don't rinse them um, down your sink. We are also polluting our rivers and our waterways, unfortunately, with these medications. So please don't do it that way. Please take them and allow the law enforcement officers to safely dispose of them. There's no forms to fill out. You don't have to leave your name. In fact, we recommend that you take the label off the bottle or use a mark-out pen. And make sure that the, the name is not visible and then just dump the whole lot of it uh, into into the containers they'll have there for you. And it's safe, quick, easy, and saves our environment and saves people's lives. So please do this.
1: And having worked with the uh, DEA, um, it's pretty remarkable when you hear about the quantity and the size and the weight of all the pills that they collect during this one day in atlanta metro area it's in the tons
0: yes it's tons of pills and when we look at it across the united states tons of pills so this is nationwide this isn't unique to georgia this is nationwide and it's a really good opportunity for you to play your part in decreasing deaths due to opioid and other prescription drug overdoses
2: but and, and several times in the past we've had DEA agents come on the show with you and talk about the, the drug problems, and one of the things they always emphasize, which we see to be true as well, is that many, many addicts' first exposure to opiates is in their own home. And and so or, even, or if, even if the, the medication for you was just to take care of some pain and the pain is gone and it didn't do anything else, that doesn't mean that when your kids try it, it won't um send their minds in a whole new direction.
0: Also on the DEA website is information about safe storage and lock boxes that are available for you to be able to make sure that prescription medications, particularly those that have a potential for abuse, are locked away and safely stored. Not all overdoses are due to somebody trying to get high. Sometimes it can be young children. Even animals and pets mm-hmm. have um, died of overdoses when exposed inadvertently to uh, potent pain medications. So please, please, please take this opportunity Saturday, April 29th, nationwide from 10 to 2. And this is at your own time zone, 10 to 2. And go to DEA deadiversion.gov and you'll get all the information about your local events, and um, places that you can dispose of these medications. So thanks for playing your part. Denial. Oh boy, this is probably the one symptom of the disease of addiction that if not treated in both the patient and their loved ones can result in the addiction never being treated. Mm -hmm. Denial is our biggest difficulty, and it is certainly something that we have to pay a lot of attention to.
1: Well, and as in the 12 steps, sometimes talk about the disease of addiction being cunning, baffling, and powerful. Denial can be that because the same person, the same loved one that might get the patient into treatment then at some point during the treatment phase, the denial is so great that that they can't let go of it and help the person get sober.
2: They have a um, actually a, a big tendency to go through um, their denial mechanisms prior to getting somebody in treatment, while somebody's in treatment, when somebody's coming out of treatment. So learning to recognize the science of denial and why it's so important to be using support to stay out of denial because, as you said, denial keeps people in this kind of state of sleep and they go right back into the the disease of addiction and, and sometimes with fatal consequence.
0: So probably the most familiar form of denial is the one that we talk about in the person who actually has the disease of addiction. And I had one of my patients actually talk about addiction being a delusional disorder, that your thinking is not correct. And in fact, it's almost exactly opposite of what it should be. For example everyone around you recognizes that the problems that you are having at work and in your relationships and with your health and with your finances and with the legal system are related to the drugs or the behaviors or the alcohol that you're using. However, to the person with the disease of addiction, that bottle is the solution to all of the problems. And that's how they're coping with Work and school and health and relationships and finances and legal issues. So they completely reverse the idea. <laughs> They're missing entirely the cause and thinking rather than drugs and alcohol being the cause of their problems it's the solution to their problems mm-hmm. and this is this is really what we talk about when we mean denial they are denying the existence of their difficulties and they're denying that it's impacting others or creating problems for them
1: that's true it's it's the perfect opportunity for them to continue drinking. If, if it's a solution for them, it's everyone else that's got the problem.
0: Exactly. The other way we see denial is in um, whom they trust. Now, we know, and we're raised and trained, that you trust your friends, that you trust your parents, that you trust your relatives, that you trust the policemen, that you trust... Um, these authority figures to help you when you have a problem and to be your confidant if you have questions or if you need some understanding. But when someone is active in their disease of addiction, they don't trust their families, they don't trust their loved ones, they don't trust their non-using friends, they don't trust law enforcement, they don't trust anybody, but people they should absolutely not be um, relying on in a trustful way they trust the drug dealer they trust the bartender they trust the clerk behind the counter at the liquor store and they are not they're not thinking clearly and trusting correctly
1: right that and that leads to the isolation that uh, many addicts when they finally get sober
0: Mm -hmm.
2: have to deal with this has actually been a really baffling aspect of working in addiction for years that that recognizing that that patients in re- in recovery should be able to go talk to their family or should be able to talk to people that they've known that have more time clean but they're they're drawn to go talk to their best friend who happens to work at a bar and happens to be the bartender and happens to know exactly what their drink is and and It's been interesting because now that at the Atlanta Healing Center we do brain mapping and we do neurofeedback, we're recognizing that their brains are literally responding that way, that the the burglar alarm system is going off when they're having to sit down and have a conversation with with a family member. Um, and when you think that their brain wants drugs, even if they're saying, I'm, I'm ready to be in recovery, their brain wants drugs. And so they're talking to somebody who's a barrier to that. I guess it does make sense. But then when they're going into a dangerous place or if you're having them deal with the, the crazy places they went to in their addiction, their brain is calm, cool, collected, just absolutely fine.
0: The burglar alarm system is not going off and is not warning them, danger, 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 step away, walk away, run away. It's it's and, and we can see it there in living color. Literally, we can see the issues that um, that are occurring when patients are worrying about things that they shouldn't be worried about and not at all concerned about situations that are really dangerous and damaging. Right,
1: and and it's always interesting to me when we're talking about trust that they have trusted their dealer. They trust that whatever. It, chemical they're buying from him is going to be pure and what they they get you know what they want and then they come to us and we do rant, you know the urine drug screens and and it shows up that there's two or three other substances mixed in with that and they don't trust they don't
2: trust that that we have really found that or you when if you're trying, trying to not, get the denial system kicks in and says boy your results are wrong there was something wrong with the cup there's something wrong with the lab because they're they're absolutely trusting they know that they didn't take this kind of drug and they're trusting the drug dealer instead of the <laughs> people right. they're paying all this Senate money to help them
0: so we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to go through a checklist to see what type of denial you may be using please stay tuned
4: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Whether cruising the strip
3: at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com.
5: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
4: You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today I have with me David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center and we're talking about those that most dangerous of symptoms that is characteristic not only of patients with the disease of addiction but also among their family members and among the medical community in general and that's the symptom of denial. Because if denial goes unchecked and untreated and unaddressed, it is virtually assured that that person will remain active in their disease of addiction and will most likely die from their disease of addiction. So this is really important. And the first step of um, Alcoholics Anonymous and of other 12-step programs is really addressing this issue of denial. And as I tell the patients, if you don't get the first step, if you don't truly understand and self-diagnose that you have this disease, that it's real, that it's impacted you, there's no reason to go to step two or four or 12, because why would you need to go to those steps? You don't have a problem. So denial is the first thing we really have to confront for, for most people as they're coming into treatment And as they continue through the stages of recovery, because it is so prevalent and it is so hardwired in the sense people go back to it all the time. Mm -hmm. And we have to continue to help them learn to live an honest recovery program. It's a tough one.
2: Well, And and that's really a, a big point. That denial is a normal part of every human's brain, that right. we all have it. It helps us survive the stress of life, and in particular, bad news. When you hear of, of major illness or you hear of losing somebody, it helps us cope with that. In addiction, people get stuck in that state. Their their brain doesn't switch out of denial, and it just grows and gets stronger and stronger. And family members' denial system gets stronger and stronger. Um, real often for family members, the denial is I can control this or I can save them or I can keep the damage at a minimum a lot of times the family denial is they don't have to fully stop using they can use a little bit just as long as it's at home where it'll be safe um, or they want to control it or yeah or they, they want, want to roll out their own their own management thinking that they'll be able to be safe and they won't have consequences whereas the consequences just spread and get worse for, for everybody involved
1: well and it just sets up a, a a struggle. It sets up a miscommunication, and the and time for um, the addict to get angry and storm off, and and, uh, and
2: becomes the perfect um, the perfect reason for the first type of denial that we talk about, avoidance. If you want to talk about my drinking, and I get into a fight with you and make a big scene, then we end up talking about the fight and the big scene, and we never have to deal with the drinking, and the denial worked.
0: Fat avoidance, that's a very common common denial, um, a common coping technique that people use. There's a reason that we have these kinds of behaviors, and that's, you know, there's healthy and then there's unhealthy. So avoidance is one that can quickly become very unhealthy. If you're in the middle of a... Um, grocery store and you're having a major disagreement with your spouse, then avoiding having that confrontation in the grocery store is probably a good idea. That doesn't mean that you're saying it's not important and we're not ever going to talk about it, but we're going to find a more appropriate venue to have this discussion. So we're avoiding it at this time, but we're not denying it. The avoidance technique um, that most people use that is more pathological is, I'm not talking about it here, I'm not talking about it now, we're going to avoid this, I'm going to deflect, I'm going to point out every flaw and mistake you've ever made, I'm going to remind you of every time you've disappointed me, every time that... You didn't keep a promise, and suddenly the discussion isn't about me and my drinking. It's about you and your failure to bring in the garbage can each week. So whatever it is, this is a very powerful technique, and we see it all the time, mm-hmm. this deflecting it back and avoiding it and making it about somebody else.
2: And. Generally, that somebody else is that that person next to them nearest and dearest. So for the most part, if you're sitting there talking to a man, it's going to be his wife that's, that's always nagging and complaining and on his back, and the only reason he's here talking about this is because she's got these issues. If you're talking to an adolescent, generally it's going to be the parents, and usually it's going to be the mother well. because she's the one who's at home having to – put down the limits and so she's the one who's obviously crazy and just can't understand children these days and so when they're using the avoidance they're going at that person that's right there next to them um, to, to keep the focus close but not too close.
0: One of the other ways that I've seen avoidance show up in an interesting way is in a group setting where you have a relatively new therapist running the group and the individual who does not want to talk about addiction, does not want to talk about what's happening here and now, will throw out, well, you know, when I was little, I was attacked. <laughs> And begin to talk about and and they 're important, and i 'm not minimizing it please don 't <coughs> hear it that way, but what i 'm saying is is that it 's much more interesting to talk about a trauma than it is to talk about the current addiction that has just got them landed in rehab after they were arrested after they committed a crime after 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 all these things that have just happened in the here and now we're going to talk about this childhood incident and we're going to avoid talking about my real reason for being here and the things I really need to deal with here and now
1: and you can you can possibly turn that that therapist into an advocate
2: for you for the reasoning behind your stuff well, and it kind of speaks to that initial point that you were talking about, about needing the right professional there to help you, because if the if the patient is able to do that with a lot of therapists who don't have an addiction focus, mm-hmm. they'll jump right into the trauma and, and they'll validate the hurt and the pain, and the patient will leave and they'll go and they'll have a drink and feel good about all the good work they've done and and stay stuck in the problem week after week after week.
0: Mm-hmm. So... That avoidance is a really interesting one. And it, it it bleeds over a little bit into the blaming, which is, well, it's not my fault, it's this and such fault. Um, it, it makes it, um, it makes it easy to see how those two kinds of um, denial techniques actually help uh, the person avoid talking about what they need to talk about and facing the issues that there clearly um, are significant and and need to be dealt with.
2: One other type of avoidance that you always see in groups, especially in a a larger group like a mixed family group Mm -hmm. or um, that type of setting will be going completely out of the room and dealing with a social issue. So right now the big one is legalizing marijuana. You're in the midst of the group and you're beginning to really talk about an issue and you're talking about how the drugs are affecting such and such and somebody in the group inevitably is going to say, "Can you believe they're bringing it up to legalize marijuana again? What are you going to do when it's all when it becomes legal everywhere?" And the entire group will Unraveled. instantly jump on to <laughs> that subject and away from dealing with the problem.
0: So it's, it's uh, very easy for people to get off on the bunny trails and to be sidetracked. And someone who is active in their disease is often really, really good at that. I think the other one that um, kind of uh, I see a lot is the minimization. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to admit that I drink. I'm not going to deny it, which there are people who say, no, I didn't. I didn't do that. Um, you see this with little kids. It's hilarious. Uh, I remember one of my sons um, decided to cut his hair and the dog's hair and paint their hair green. So um, I walk in, and he's about three, four years old. Um, what happened to your hair? Nothing. Did you cut your hair? No. Did you cut your dog's hair? No. Um How did your hair get green? I don't know. How did the dog's hair get green? I don't know. Then one of the brothers, who's much smarter than the mother, comes up and says, How did you get the dog to hold still? And then, of course, my young son says, Oh, I had to hold him between my knees so I could cut his hair. (laughs) So he was able to overcome that complete denial but people you can catch them in the act and they will sit there and look you right in the eye and completely deny that they did that i don't drink i don't smoke i didn't just use right and it is the strength of that denial is astonishing and the ability to start making everybody around them feel crazy is (laughs) really a sight to behold but that's, that's one that happens quite often. I don't drink. But the minimizing is the next one, which is, well, I do, but it's, it's very little. And I didn't really have three drinks. I only had one drink. And I only drink on weekends. And I don't drink nearly as much as
2: as so-and-so. So 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 when you have the evidence in front of them that says, yes, you do drink, it's here in your system, then they'll move into that minimizing.
0: The minimizing and then the um, comparing. Rationalizing. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about a few more denial techniques and look at denial in the family. Thanks for listening.
5: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
4: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.
5: This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. This is America's Web com, the best in chat radio
0: designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. You're listening to America's Web Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and with me today is Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. We're talking about denial. No, it is not a river in Egypt, it is one of the most powerful, yet often very subtle ways in which people can stay very active in their disease. So we were talking about different styles of denial and different ways in which people are, are able to use this um, often pretty effective technique. And um, one of them is... Um, the, the one that I think I personally hear as, um, as the physician most is the compliance one, where the person promises me, yes, that makes so much sense. I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. You tell me, exa- write this down. I want this to be just right. I want to get it perfect because um, I, want to, I, w- I want to get well. Now, there are people who say that and truly mean it, and that is an engaging way to be part of the treatment plan. But I have to tell you very often, especially in early recovery, that is one of the ways that um, some of our expert folks are able to get people off their back mm-hmm. by telling them what they want to hear and agreeing with them and thank you so much and you're the only hope and I'm so grateful and all of these wonderful things that pumps up the ego of all of us, of course, we all want to hear we're great and the salvation and the, the answer to all the problems, but the reality is, is that's just one way for them to make me stop talking. And make me stop trying to provide interventions or guidance or help. They are are using this um, compliance and the flight into health. I'm feeling so much better, and that medicine you gave me is just wonderful, and everything is great. It's uh, so good. Hate to see you um, leave, but um, I, I gotta go now. And this has been great. <laughs> Um.
2: That's one, actually, that that we all end (laughs) up facing. Um, Myself, and and doing therapy, we'll have them saying, oh, yes, I'm going to go to this meeting. I've looked at the schedule. I know where five are that are going to be convenient, and I'm going to look for a sponsor while I'm at the meeting. And I know in the business office, Michael will sit down with, with patients, and he'll work out this schedule and work out this payment plan, and they'll walk out of the office just totally happy with all that Michael's done for them. And and feel like they've solved a lot of problems and go home and report
1: to whoever it is that, that um, pushed them into our, our doors, and then we never see them again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> never see them again.
0: Although the family may still think they're coming, which is another right. interesting thing. But that's a very interesting form of denial, this being very compliant and, and telling the person what they want to hear. About.
1: Well, and I think that at some point, the addict or, or alcoholic starts to believe their own <laughs> compliance and their own lies. They, they really, mm-hmm. when they tell somebody that, they mean it with all their heart. They're just not able to
2: keep that promise. One of them that I think is really difficult to master or to, to, to help somebody wake up from um, is, is just being totally helpless that they'll start talking to you about all the people that they've lost in their lives, and in particular, right now with the opiate crisis going on, that they'll have so many people that they they know that have died. They, die. mm-hmm. they will they will talk about all of these people in detail and how hurt they are and how sad they are, and and you want to jump in there and help them deal with the grief issues that come from that because you know the grief issues are going to need to be dealt with eventually. Sure, but. When they're doing it before getting sober or before doing anything else to take care of the recovery, then you know it's not actual grief that they're facing. It's the denial of "I'm too." I'm just so sad and so helpless that I can't really do any of the things that you're asking that me to you're do. asked
0: me to do. The other one is the um, the denial form of "I'm not hurting anybody. It's my life. It's my body. It's my right. I I'm doing this and." It's you need okay to just with get me off and just leave me alone. Yep. Just leave me alone. Not
1: hurting anyone but myself.
0: And that is again another way because denial is a way to avoid having to think and and actually get well because most people in denial are they are not interested or ready, or don't really understand the seriousness of the situation, and so they want to keep using. Right. So they're and using these strategies.
1: And and uh, the manipulation that occurs, you know, I think that the manipulation should be throughout each one of these that we've talked about, because no matter what we're doing along the way when we're dealing with denial, we're somehow trying to manipulate another person into. Thinking or doing what we would like them to do.
2: Yeah, either doing for us or at least feeling good about what we're saying we're doing. Exactly. And getting off our backs.
0: So, the most common group that's getting manipulated is the, the loved ones, the family members, the spouses of the person with the disease of addiction. And we far too often, I think, highlight the denial in the person with addiction and the manipulation. And all of these techniques that are used to keep people off their back and allow them to keep using. What we don't always talk about, and this is something that you do a lot of work with, David, I know with our families in the family program, this is the denial and um, that's found within the family. It
2: go ahead. Well that real often the family members are are very vested in protecting the family. Mm-hmm and protecting the family secrets. So their denial is sometimes to neighbors that, you know, there may have been a police at the house or some sort of ruckus at the house, and their denial is um, there was nothing major going on. We had a little bit of an accident, and it's all settled now, and everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, it might be making excuses not to go to family events or calling actually calling employers if, if someone's not going to be able to work because of their addiction um, with this belief system that if I just protect this person from the consequences this time, then they'll wake up tomorrow and they'll get up and they'll go do what they need to do and they won't drink so much or use so much. And they might also say thank you for all that I've done for them.
0: Uh, Tion Dayton writes a lot about um, family systems and about codependency, and she uses the statement that families rewrite reality, (laughs) that they tend to use the minimization as well. Oh, it wasn't that bad. He didn't get that drunk. Um, It's okay. And they, they... Look at and then tell the story to themselves and to other people with this rewriting of reality or rewriting of history uh, that it wasn't wasn't nearly so bad. It's just bad friends. It's a bad situation. The person's really stressed. So it's going to get better, and that's a way to deny and that's a way to avoid having to. Confront or to take some action to help their loved one get in treatment. Not that they don't love their loved one, but this process of denying that there's a problem makes it easier for them to sleep at night and makes it easier for the addict to continue to use or act out in their behaviors.
1: Well, and what's interesting is when you watch the family after a small or, you know, a few weeks of sobriety. And maybe they came in um, f- for help with opiates, and they haven't used opiates, but they've continued to smoke pot, and they've drank a little bit. Um, and the the caregiver or the the person that's that's so used to enabling them will come in and report that they're doing really well. You know, um, what they don't tell you is, but they had you know they had two beers or smoked a little pot
2: or did this but it but it's so much better than before and if they do tell it they'll say only two beers and it was just at home so they'll they'll jump into minimizing with the exact same minimization that their loved ones uses that's what's always so interesting to me is is family members denial system will sound identical just the, Uh the the names and faces change um when you were talking about the excuses that family members will make and you mentioned the friends um I find it also pretty interesting how that just changes as the, the addict gets older, that when the when the addict is like 15 or 16, they're blaming or they're excusing it for the friends that they choose. And then when the addict gets to be 18 or 19, they're saying that the professor in college is too rough on them or has too many expectations, um, and they get to be – 25, and they get fired from a job, and then it's the boss was um, picking on him, or the boss was doing such and such to him, and they just stay in that exact same denial pattern from 15 to 40, um, just changing the person that's going to be the the blame.
0: And it may be, well, it's that person that he dates, or it's that, that woman that she married, it's all of these kinds of it's somebody else and if my loved one were just away from these terrible people then they would be fine mm-hmm. it's the terrible people That are causing the problem, just like the addict is saying it's the terrible people and situations causing the problem, not the alcohol. The family is actually saying the exact same thing. It's the terrible people and terrible situations and not the drugs and not the alcohol and not the disease of addiction. And certainly
2: not our family. And the other thing that family members like to use as denial is other mental health issues. Um, they want it to be about depression, they want it to be about anxiety. and bipolar. if they can just get <laughs> the right medication for the bipolar, then they obviously will just stop drinking naturally and it won't be a problem or they'll they'll drink responsibly. Yeah, that's the truth.
0: And it is very interesting because they are often able, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the medical profession, in our last segment, but they're often able to convince healthcare providers that aren't actively um, aware of the disease of addiction to provide a legal substitute for the person's drugs of choice,
1: and and that person that healthcare becomes their advocate. They 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 can completely manipulate them into. They're doing the work for me against my family or against my loved one or against my... And then the loved one buys into it completely because a doctor told us this.
0: Right. Uh, I've got pain. I'm going to have to take pain meds for the rest of my life. I have anxiety. I'm going to need to take these um, benzodiazepines the rest of my life. I've got um, insomnia, so I'm going to have to... Take this sleep medicine, or I've got ADD, and I'm going to have to take these stimulants. And so it becomes a way that the denial system colludes to keep that person active in their addiction.
2: Another point that um, I'm sorry, you were about to say something.
0: We need to take a break. When we come back, David, you can lead off.
2: Okay.
5: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend. That needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Keruchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear The Doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The disease
3: of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is
5: America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
0: Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and with me today is David Donaldson, and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center, and you're listening to America's Reb Web Radio. Dang it, um, David! Right before the break, you were going to talk a little bit about um, family denial.
2: Well, there was just one other point that um, the the woman you had you had been talking about, Tian Dayton, was was making that. Part of what she talks about is denial in and of itself can become very habit-forming. So even though somebody has gone to treatment and they've gotten out and they've gotten sober and they're working a program, family members will find themselves still in the anxiety and they'll still find themselves in the minimizing and the other denial things that they had been using to live with the disease of addiction. Um in the recovery process. And, and if family members don't begin doing some of their own personal therapy or going to the, the Al-Anon family groups or the Families Anonymous recovery programs, that they are prone to um, either create a relapse or to find themselves picking up a whole new addict to start focusing on because those denial systems they were using have just become a way of life.
0: And this is a really scary thing because we see that not just in the – In the person with addiction, we see it in the family. And because it is so habitual, I think it's the reason that the recovery programs and uh, particularly 12-step programs talk about rigorous honesty. Mm -hmm. That it is staying in the truth. It is not rewriting reality. It is not trying to manipulate or blame or avoid, it is in being honest. Because this habit, this desire to continue to use these strategies uh, can allow not only the person with addiction to continue to find ways and excuses to keep using, but the family members to also continue to minimize and to avoid recognizing that their loved one is headed for disaster.
1: And they will go down with the ship. I mean, they will ride that thing and continue to protect and deny for as long as it takes and then move on to the next and get very angry in the meantime when you try to point out to them, you mm-hmm. know, this. Then, then you're being kind of
2: but well, anger can combative. be a very, very effective avoidance system. Because I, I can just take the focus and put it right on you. I was just thinking how so many of the things we talk about um, become kind of natural. I mean, people tell me I'm great at rationalizing, and I know when you know <laughs> I stub my toe or something. My first reaction is to blame one of you two. <laughs> um, but it, when we're talking about the disease of addiction, it's got so much more um, consequence.
0: Right, very lethal consequence. And speaking of that, um, a recent study done at the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA, looked um, at the group of patients that were in their health care system that were being treated in primary care, being treated in pediatrics, OBGYN, cancer treatment, all of these different treatment Um, specialties and modalities. They looked at these patients from the year 2006 through 2014 and then analyzed the data. Out of all of these hundreds of thousands of patients that go through their program, there were 2,600 adults that were identified, that were labeled that had been given a diagnosis of opiate dependence. These are folks that they've highlighted have the disease of addiction and have opiates. One of the things that they found was that folks that are treated in these regular medical centers without the referral to addiction professionals without including addiction professionals as part of the treatment team. They found that 18% of these patients died within this 2006 to 2014. And it was estimated that the person um, was identified for four years on average. And yet less than a third of them were ever referred for addiction treatment, even though they were clearly given that diagnosis. And less than 10% of them ever went forward and actually got some active treatment. This high death rate among these patients was very much unexpected. And it shows, unfortunately, that people of color or folks who Have little or no insurance coverage were the ones most likely to die in this study. They were also most likely to be very advanced in their other medical diseases, such as cancer, liver disease, um, having all kinds of difficulties related to their disease of addiction. That the having hepatitis C having use of alcohol and tobacco were very clear identifiers that someone was at risk and that they needed this addiction intervention, and they were not given that. And this is, this is very recent information, and this is going to be, I hope, a wake-up call to our health systems and our health care providers. They have to respect this disease, they have to identify it, and it has to be treated, and it has to be treated by people who understand it and who are able to provide the good care these patients need.
1: Well, that's one thing that I'm very excited about. At Atlanta Healing Center, having the um, the pre-doctors coming in and and doing a rotation with us um, throughout their semester, so that they start to become educated about mm-hmm. the disease of addiction and about the things to look at and some of the denials, and it's very eye-opening for many of them, you
2: know. Well, and the other piece that that I notice is that that, you know, patients will pin, finish a treatment program and they'll go on with their life and, and if they have a medical situation come up, they don't think to call back to their treatment center and say, hey, I'm about to have a surgery, how do I manage this? And and something that I know that, that you do regularly is tell the patients they don't need to go into surgery alone, that we'll have a conversation with the surgeon, we'll talk about what the medication situation should be so that they're not... Um, thrown directly back into the disease, because the reality is, once they're exposed, whether it's surgery or not, they're going to be thrown back in, into the disease of addiction.
1: And, and many times, a healthcare professional that, that knows that somebody is um, in recovery will will say, well, you still need to take um, take a few of these, but just stop at 10.
2: Yeah, they'll say, and just they'll stop. They'll
1: say, just stop. I'm giving you 30, but just stop at 10. Just Not realizing that the disease of addiction will not stop at 10.
0: Right. So it is very important that people understand not everybody who has pain, not everybody who has to take medication has the disease of addiction. But everyone with addiction will have a pain issue in their life and that they will be requiring some type of intervention for pain. That doesn't mean that we say suck it up. No, it means that there are ways in which we can help provide very good quality pain relief while minimizing the risk of relapse for patients. And the more that we can educate the health care providers, the, the dentists, the pediatricians, the OBGYNs, the cancer specialists, all of these folks in primary care or specialty care about the disease and about the way in which patients need to be treated, the medications that provide risk for them, the better off we're going to be. It's, um, it's an ongoing Process, but we have to put the patient in charge of reminding because, unfortunately, at the end of the day, patients do tell their doctors that they have the disease of addiction, and at the end of the day, the doctor may still provide them with care that will put them at risk. So having that link back, because this is a chronic illness, Mm -hmm. it is a chronic illness that, unfortunately, we don't have a cure for, But we can help people manage it and we can help people interface with their primary care or health care providers in a way that does not leave them going back out and being active in their disease. So the denial on the part of the health care community that is highlighted by this study uh, done at UCLA, I think is is the thing that we, we really need to be mindful of. Denial is all over the place. The police officer that lets somebody go with a DUI, the school teacher that doesn't um, seem to, to register, this person's nodding off all the time in the class. Everywhere we go, there is denial going on. And we'll remind you all one of the ways you can overcome your denial is to clean out your medicine cabinets and give back all of these old medicines to be properly destroyed. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction. This is America's
5: Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.atlantahealingcenter.com.
4: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like.